Hello, everyone. Welcome to Dojo Talks, our weekly podcast that we stream live. Uh, today's topic is the FIDE Grand Prix. So um, to catch people up, uh, the FIDE Grand Prix has been a qualifier for the World Championship uh, cycle for a couple, couple of years now. Um, it's going to be qualifying two spots, the final two spots, into uh, the candidates tournament that is scheduled to be played, I think, later this year. Um, and uh, the way uh, this year's uh, FIDE Grand Prix works is that there's going to be three tournaments. Uh, they invited a bunch of players, a bunch of the top players that haven't qualified yet to play in one of, uh, or in two of these three legs. Um, we'll get into uh, the players because a lot of them couldn't uh, make it because of COVID and stuff. Uh, the, the biggest case, I think, was Ding Loren who was supposed to play and was a, kind of one of the favorites, current number three player in the world, uh, uh, was announced that he is not going to be able to play. Uh, and it's kind of unclear why that is, but definitely something related with uh, with COVID measures. Um, so uh, the, the, system, uh, the Grand Prix, I think the tournament, it's a little bit complicated, but basically, like I mentioned, three events, there's going to be an eventual knockout, I think, to determine two spots to the candidates. And uh, it just started. The first round, I think, took place earlier earlier today, uh, yep. being Friday, uh, February 4th. So well, where, where should we start with this, guys? Well, okay, I'll start. I think, um, so the first thing we got to mention as fans is that the Ding situation is, first of all, definitely a tragedy for Jess and tragedy for Ding. And it makes the whole process look terrible. So let me just say, in years past, cycles past, you there were always spots for rating. Usually it was like two spots by rating. So for example, Magnus is already already at number one, so to go to the two and third spots. Um, <clears throat> they threw that out and that's it isn't looking good because normally then Ding would have gotten in just automatically. Now he's out. And my understanding is it's very hard to fly out of China. He needed a return visa from Germany. That's why he couldn't do it. Uh, I still think that they could have made it happen if they really wanted to. Clearly, you know, this is a big deal for China and why they couldn't organize a visa. It's unfathomable to me. I want to tell a quick story. Me and Bruce played a great tournament in Beijing 2008. And at the last minute, I discovered that I did not have a proper visa. And there's a Chinese consulate in San Francisco. And I was not there at the time. And Mr. Proust took the train from Berkeley over the bridge into San Francisco to stand at the Chinese consulate at six o'clock in the morning to get me a visa. The guy did it for me, man. Check that out. That's what Mr. Proust did for me, 2008. Why didn't Ding have somebody doing that for him? That's my question. How come he couldn't have a Mr. Proust helping him out? I don't get it. Clearly the guy needs a Mr. Proust to fix his stuff, but he didn't have it. And now the whole cycle looks bad. And I have now more sympathy for when Magnus is saying things like, oh, this is dumb. Because when you look at the people, this is going to be a real lottery about who wins these two spots. And you're getting people in there that, I mean, honestly, it should be roughly the top 10. 
and we're going to get people coming out of this. Who knows who's going to win this thing? Absolutely no idea who's going to come out of it. So that's my quick two cents on this FIDE Grand Prix thing. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I'll, I'll chime in on the ding thing because I understand it makes things look really bad and it's the biggest news of the last two days. And honestly, you like you you say, wait, the number three rated player who in fact was number two when they started this cycle, right? Right. Like Ferrugia reached number two by qualifying for right. this cycle at the Grand Swiss, right? I mean, like Dingley Ren has been like world number two, sometimes three behind Fabi, sometimes two ahead of Fabi for like several years, right? So like it's unfathomable that the guy is not in the candidates nor in any of the qualifying events for the candidates. At first, it's confusing. You're like, what the, what kind of system have they come up with that like he's not even part of it in any way? But I think actually in this case, it may not be the fault of the system, Jesse, because um, look how much Dingley Ren has played in the last two years. Okay. Right. Yep. The guy basically hasn't played chess for two years and you know it could be it could be a mix of covid and the chinese government or something in his life but the guy the guy basically hasn't played chess um for a couple years and um i was talking on the phone to someone the other day and they said that you know that friendly match he played with lu shang lei um Uh in china maybe in december fairly recently right yeah Uh uh-huh apparently that was played because he had like no FIDE games. That was to like keep his like name on the rating lists. Like, yeah, he had to like log a few games. He would have been ineligible for the world championships off of just lapsing, you know, the way Gary Kasparov wouldn't be eligible for a spot in this, in this tournament. Right. In theory, Kasparov's got the rating, but it's dormant. Right. So, um, so, so Ding basically just hasn't played for a couple of years and, and what each step of the reasons were, why he didn't play the world cup, why he didn't play the grand Swiss, why he didn't play, you know, any of the other things that are, that are qualifiers now. Um, I think those were the two, two main ones, right? The grand Swiss and the world cup. And now there's this grand prix is the third event that he's not showing up for. I mean, ultimately like if he just chooses not to show up, you can't blame Fide for the fact that Kasparov's not in the candidates, right? And at some point, you can't blame them for Ding if he's just not playing chess right now. I don't know the reasons, but... Yeah, no, that's totally true. And I guess I'll just add to that my own just estimation from the sidelines. When he got in the bike wreck a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. it wasn't quite the same. And maybe that's just because I was in my own bike wreck once. And I know that that's kind of a... It shifts your your life around a little bit when you get messed up but yeah since then he's been far less active and something is going on and he made a statement after this all happened he was like oh yeah magnus is untouchable anyway maybe if he gets old starts losing his grip maybe then he'll have a chance you know come on <laughs> but you're you're getting old too buddy you're 29 this you're not gonna get this isn't gonna get any easier it's not gonna yeah. definitely not gonna be easier in two years this was your best chance so yeah, no, as, as fans, it's really like head scratching. The whole thing, the whole thing yeah. is a head scratcher. Yeah, so it sounds like it might not be Fide's fault that Ding Loren is, is out. I mean, I think from their perspective, they would love to have him play all the events. They would love to have him in the candidates, right? I, I don't think there's any, there's definitely not like a conspiracy going on to like keep him out and like, or anything like that. Um, yeah. And yeah, it could, could be very much just due to just like uh, really strict uh, COVID measures and visas and things like this that are 
I don't know, very unfortunate for uh, for chess players. Um, so I guess the um, the other thing I, actually that uh, was part of it too is that there's only six spots that you can actually qualify for because one is reserved for Nepo or the loser uh-huh. of the, the match and one mm-hmm. was given to Rajabov because of the right. last cycle, which yeah. I guess now we can kind of like revisit whether that was a good idea. At the time, I was definitely team Rajabov because I think he was absolutely right to be uh, concerned about the tournament. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think, yeah, he withdrew, I think, probably at a correct time, given that the tournament never was never finished, at, at, you know, when it started. Um, but uh, but now people are saying like, well, Rajabov hasn't been super active either. He's also right. got this reputation of making a ton of uh, quick draws. And so now people are like, eh, don't give him the wild card. <laughs> you should have just been compensated, you know, financially. And, you know, the wild card should go to Ding Loren. He des- deserves it. So I think there's uh, there's definitely like some, I don't know, some emotion going on. <laughs> but uh, what, what do you guys think on about all that? Well, right. And this, uh, you know, one hilarious thing, this is a footnote to that, is... The other person who got the shaft years ago, okay, was Shirov. Shirov got the shaft because Kasparov, kind of like Magnus now. What is Magnus? He wants to play Ferruja, right? Yeah. Probably does. Probably a sane person wouldn't want Ferruja. It'd be like, no, I'd like to have some chump to let me win for another <laughs> couple of years. But no, Magnus wants the challenge. What happened back in the day? Kasparov wanted to play Kramnik. That's how he lost his title. He actually wanted that match and he shafted Shiroff because Shiroff was the one actually due to get the match. Why am I bringing it up now? Because it's a little bit similar to Rajabov and because Shiroff himself, the old man, gets to play in this offense. He's playing. Yeah. yeah. That's funny. And yeah. He's, made it, he's made a comeback. He is my age, 49. He has made a comeback. He is over 2,700. Uh, so very surprising that he's managed to do it. And so it's just kind of a fun storyline, but also speaks to the kind of motley crew of people that you have playing in this event. Guys like Nakamura, who should have been a contender, but until he went off and did his old whole streaming thing, not hasn't been active, right. hasn't been active. And he's also somebody they just picked out and they're like, dude, you're famous. You should come play in this event, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, I, think- I, don't, I, I don't think the organizers did anything to push away i don't think they even made any weird demands or anything i'm sure they were very accommodating you know within the realm of their you know capacities to be accommodating but i don't think they did anything particularly weird to him and i would have liked to have him there so i i think it's just it's just unfortunate but the pandemic has changed a lot of things you know and there there are people missing more than than a chess tournament so that's just the way it goes we just have to accept that that uh you know dingley ren maybe didn't want it that badly or the Chinese chess federation didn't want it that badly. And life goes on and we watch the guys we got. <laughs> okay. Well, and that just makes it. So it's hard for me there. Now I want to bring up another thing about this FIDE Grand Prix. It's very hard as a fan to understand how it works. I know it happened last time. And it was also hard to understand then. So let me just say there's three events you get to play into. And then you add up a bunch of points and you get points depending on your placement. So as a fan, it's very hard to follow. 
It's not like, could it have just been one event where they picked the top two, something like that. You know, this thing is like, oh my gosh. And then is obviously you could say to yourself, well, some fields are stronger than others. You know, there's all yeah. kinds of weird stuff like that going on. And then because guys like, um, like, like Ding aren't there, then you get replacements that are only there, not even playing for a spot themselves or just playing to play. And ah, it just gets weird. Yeah. Just I mean, I don't think I don't think it's so impossible to 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 understand because you're adding two numbers together. But I do think that the grand pre points are an additional layer of complexity that doesn't really add anything. Like you right. guys may recall, I had a plan for like a grand prix that I would use for my dream world championship cycle. Right, right. And in my grand prix, similarly, you know, you've got like four or five like tournaments, and then you add up your top three scores from those tournaments. But you just add your point from the tournaments. You don't be like, oh, he finished in seventh place, so that's worth three points, and oh, in this tournament he finished in third place, and that's worth like eleven points. Like, yeah. I, I don't see the point of like changing changing your points from chess points into some kind of qualification system points and then adding the qualification system points together. They, they're already, they're already points. It's like very easy in chess. You know? <laughs> like everything is so mathematical, straightforward, you know, whites, blacks, ELO ratings, six um, out of 10 in a tournament. Yeah. I'm, I'm not sure about the grand prix. I do like that system for the, the grand chess tour. I think that makes it kind of exciting to follow where it's like, Oh, Magnus needs to score like first or second to win it. Or like Mamadarov, he needs to place fourth to like qualify for like an eventual playoff or something. I don't know. I kind of, I like guess it's okay if someone's game. really into it, but I'm not sure how much yeah. it adds compared to just like saying this guy scored 27 points so far this season, this guy scored 25. Yeah. And then, you know, he needs to score more than two points more than him in the final tournament to, to surpass him. Yeah, that, that's pretty similar, I would say. That's not a, not a <laughs> Instead, deal. it's like this separate set of numbers that you have to translate to, and then it just makes it, you know, a little bit harder, less transparent for non-super fans. Yeah, I mean, I, I consider myself a super fan. It's too complicated for me, man. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, want it, I want it clean. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's got to be said that, let's say, World Cup qualifying is going on now in the world of soccer slash football and mm -hmm. that can sometimes be a little complicated too i feel it's a little bit cleaner but that is it can become complicated for the fans as well so i i just mentioned that because i think when fide does this they're looking they're looking at world cup and how that works and there's certain similarities about how they're organizing things a little bit uh, that's their dream is their dream to create something similar to the world cup. I think. Yeah, actually there, there have always been comparisons drawn between FIDE and FIFA. Um, right. Not, not necessarily the best. Ones, as far as, no. as ever. Well, right. And one thing we've mentioned this on the show is or one thing I feel strongly about is there's kind of a, in both organizations, there's an inbuilt corruption because you need in order to win the election you have to buy the votes of the small nations because a one nation one vote so like china gets as much votes as a tiny country barbados or whatever so so you can buy off barbados no problem and if you want to win you kind of have to so you're only going to win if you're willing to buy off these votes in both fifa and fide so that's how you end up getting corrupt organizations. But as I've said before, my two favorite sporting events, the Chess World Championship and the World Cup are run by corrupt organizations. So <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, okay. Now we can also talk about the uh, the other side of this, which is that um, this. I think this was the tournament where there was there was a lot of confusion going into it about who's organizing this event, like because uh-huh. <laughs> it's called the FIDE Grand Prix. Right. Yeah. But but then there was. Well, I think it was this drama with the players and uh, World Chess asking about the logos on their jackets and whether they can get a cut of yeah. the, the sponsors. I think that was for this event. And I, it is for this event, Kosi. And I've been looking to see what the resolution was, but the only news stories I can find are from you know three weeks ago saying the players are complaining. I have not been able mm-hmm. to find any resolution about whether the players were or were not allowed to wear their sponsor logos or if they had to pay, you know the the mafia for that right yeah that's that's not really clear um but yeah i thought it was so funny leading up to this event that yeah so there is this uh, like drama with the players and and then like fide's response was like uh world chess is organizing this event not fide so uh you can yeah. stop complaining to us <laughs> and people were like what yeah this is the fide grand prix what are you talking um well, so, the, I mean, do you do you know what World Chess is, Kostya? Yes, yes. Actually, okay. people are because it is a separate. It is a separate <laughs> thing from FIDE, in a sense. Right. No, it Not is much of a thing, but it is a thing. Oh, it's definitely a thing. Yeah. It is a separate organization. Actually, people are, are also asking us in the chat, like, what, why exactly is it kind of like an open thing that that FIDE is corrupt? I think the plan is we're we're gonna eventually do a full show on FIDE and, and air out all of our grievances. I think we'll also do a full show on World Chess as well. Long show, long show. Um, but uh, the the short version, as I understand it, is that World Chess is a separate organization that was yeah. formed uh, several years ago. It used to be called Aegon at yeah. the beginning. Mm. And uh, FIDE and Aegon back then, they made this like huge deal for the World Championship cycle. They basically sold yes. the rights uh, of the world championship cycle to Aegon so they can run yeah. the candidates tournament, the world championship, qualifier events, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know a lot of facts about Aegon. So the next stuff is just kind of stuff that I've like heard been said, but maybe David, you have more detail, but it, it basically just like feels like some kind of like weird shadow organization where FIDE can just like launder money to themselves basically, but make it look like they're selling it to because it was very much like FIDE people involved in, in the whole thing. Um, so it was very, very sketchy. Uh, maybe yeah. you guys I have mean, more details. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, they made some kind of deal with them for like 12, like around 12 years of all like their most important events uh, with no other, like, you know, no other bids or suggestions and sold it for like a dollar or whatever, gave them away all the rights to everything. Um, because Aegon was supposedly going to like promote chess using it. Um, and then, you know, Aegon, I think doesn't, or now world chess doesn't even have like that many like employees. They just, yeah, there was, there was a lot of hype. They were like, we're going to revolutionize how chess is shown and how chess is broadcast. I mean, I think they did come up with what we now know as like the eval bar. I don't know if they were the first to do it, but that was one of their big, inventions was that you can now see the eval <laughs> that'd be amazing i don't i don't know if they did it first but that was definitely one of their like big innovations <laughs> i wasn't even on the list of things i was blaming them for <laughs> i don't know if they were first but they were definitely very excited about 
that prospect. Um, yeah. I mean, today's not their episode, is it? Or I mean, how much are we supposed to say about them today? No, like, think- but but it is true that they are a separate organization, which Fide gave the the legal rights to organize the event. And so when Fide says like, "Oh, we're not the organizers," it's true. And so far as they like, you know, gave it away um, to these other organizers. Well, hold on. I think they're definitely part of the discussion today because why it's so weird has everything to do with these people. It was weird in 2019, the last time this happened, and they were also running that show. Like, yeah. who decides? I assume when we talk about the wild cards, I assume they're the ones deciding that. For example, they're the ones who came up with this weird point system and this whole thing. And I assume they paid some money to FIDE to get this gig. And I assume they had bigger dreams than what happened because no one knows who World Chess is. My understanding is is very little, like basically like that they basically didn't pay FIDE and then had the rights to this incredibly valuable property that they wanted to then make money off of. So we're like FIDE is supposed to be like a nonprofit, right? They're supposed to be a for-profit. So the nonprofit gives them something very valuable and they're allowed to monetize it and make a profit off of it. Um, they just I haven't necessarily done a good job of it, right? But like, you know, imagine I give you the world championship, Jesse. I'm like, you're in charge of it. And now you can go to other people and sell it to them, right? Because it's not like, it's not like Aegon or World Chess was ever like, okay, we're going to go like rent this like venue and we're going to like hire, you know, we're going to hire these arbiters and we're going to like get chairs for the players and stuff like that. No, they would then go to like, you know, some tournament director and organizers and, and directors in some place and say like, hey, do you guys want to pay <laughs> to run this event? So they just kind of resell it. Well, right. And I mean, for example, in, in the U.S., the U.S. Chess Federation was incapable of running the U.S. Chess Championship, so then St. Louis took it over. Great, great, that was fantastic. Right, um, and we kind of know what St. Louis is about. It's not a profit for not a for profit organization, and right. this one I just don't know. It's been years now, and it's kind of astounding to me. I'm like, who are these people? The head guy, this Ilya guy? No idea who that guy is. I have no idea who are the people behind this. No one knows. There's you just there's it. just no him one at knows. this point. That's <laughs> no that's the knows. whole world chess. That's kind of that's kind of the thing now. It's just him, just just one jerk behind a keyboard with uh, some lawyers on speed dial. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah. So. Okay, I think we'll, it is definitely relevant to today's talk because they're they're organizing the tournament itself. And I think Jesse's right. And like a lot of this weirdness does come from this this odd relationship. Um, we will do a full episode on World Chess, I think, soon. Really? Um, what is there to say, though? <laughs> no one knows. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, no information. <laughs> you, you can think of it like this, Jesse, like instead of St. Louis, Think of it like this. The U.S. Chess Federation sells the rights to the U.S. championships to, you know, Chess Dojo Inc., a for-profit chess company. We pay them $1 for it. Uh And then we go to the Mechanics Club and say, what would you pay us for the rights to host the West Coast qualifier? And they pay us. And then we let them run the West Coast qualifier. And we have... St. Louis run the Midwest qualifier and, and we go to the Marshall club and they pay us to run the East coast qualifier. So they all run the qualifier tournaments. We just sit here, you know, occasionally send some threatening emails. If anyone says something we don't like, 
or make some rude tweets about them on Twitter. So they all pay us, you know, like a million dollars each to run those tournaments. And then we take bids from, you know, five or six chess clubs around the country who wants to run the actual championship. Once the qualifiers are determined, we have them pay us another million dollars. And, uh, and then we just tweet something about how it's, you know, groundbreaking chess in the next century or the next decade or whatever. Oh, yeah. and then, cause there, there is going to be a lot of hype about the U S you know, hypothetical U S championship. Um, you know, this, uh, just chess dojo Inc, uh, company, um, could then sell the moves because the moves, everyone wants to see like, what's, what's going to be played. So the moves mm-hmm. themselves are actually very valuable. And Chess Dojo has the rights to the US championship. So how dare you steal the moves from, from Dojo? Yeah. And so, yeah, the moves themselves could be sold according to, to that company. Yeah. You saw the thing where they were like relaying moves from an event that Chess 24 was running, yeah. having previously sued Chess 24 for showing like the moves of the world championship. So, so Chess 24 was like, okay, so you've been like, showing our tournaments on your website for like weeks now. So I guess that means like, you're okay. Like you've accepted the doctrine that people can relay moves and they're like, oh no, 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 no. We just know that you're not going to sue us about it, but we still have the right to sue you if you do the same thing. <laughs> that was so funny. That's why we got to do a full episode so we can get into like, yeah, the lawsuits, the threats, all the Twitter beefs I think should be highlighted. <laughs> okay. Let, let me, I, I just got to read this to you. I finally, I did some digging. I did some digging before the show. And honestly, it was very hard to find. I have finally found it. Okay, here we go. This is quick. I'm just going to read this. It's relevant. So commercial agreement with Aegon and World Chess. In 2012, this, this stinks, honestly. Listen to this. FIDE entered into a commercial agreement, initially planning to last until 2021 with the com- company Aegon Limited. This company was given rights to organize and commercially exploit the World Chess Championship and the associated events in the World Championship cycle. The first tournament organized was the London Grand Prix, September 2012, followed by London Candidates in the Chennai 2013. Aegon subsequently organized the four events, 2014-2015. Aegon had been founded in 2012 in New Jersey by Andrew Paulson as the sole shareholder. On February 20th, 2012, an agreement between Aegon and FIDE was made subject to approval by the 2012 FIDE General Assembly. This approval was forthcoming in September 2012. But then in Aegon in October 2014, Aegon was sold to this dude Ilya for the sum of one pound. One pound. <laughs> At the September 2016 FIDE General Assembly, it was a resolve that Aegon should institute a corporate presence in a locale with more transparency. Marazon said that they would register in the UK in a couple months. As a result, a new company, World Chess Limited, was registered shortly after replacing Aegon as the rights holder in the agreement with FIDE. Oh, man. Yeah, I told you. I said $1, but I was close. <laughs> You were close, dude. Yeah. Oh, man, that is so terrible. Yeah. Oh, gosh, man. And that was hard to find, my friends. That was really hard to find. It was buried, and it's still buried. You read that, and you're like, oh, my God, there's so much backroom stuff going on there. 
Right. You sell the thing to sell the thing to sell the thing and then sell the thing. And who are these? They're making big decisions too. Yeah. Big decisions. They're just absolute random clowns. Just absolutely like, totally you know. Totally. I think the name change was very wise though because Aegon sounds like uh, the name of a villainous organization like the Incredibles <laughs> or something. And it just sounds like cartoonish. <laughs> it was. Little chess at least a little it less. It was. <laughs> dystopic. Yeah. Dystopic, um, that's right. <laughs> um, yeah. And this goes back to Ilium Janoff. That's how it all started. The Twitter account, by the way, the Twitter account, as uh, as Cartier is, is saying, the Twitter account is the same guy. There's just one guy. That's it. Yeah, it's just one dude. It's just one dude. And then if he's if he's like a little bit mad at you, he tweets some angry stuff. If he's really mad at you, he like sends an email to his lawyers and that's it. Like they don't actually do anything. Like as far as like organizing, publicizing, like anything, right? They, they have no, there's no there, there, there's nothing. Okay. I do need to, to read this. Okay. Because it is important just to uh, make sure everybody understands. After the 2018 FIDE elections and the appointment of a new FIDE president, the new management took regaining control over the world champion cycle as one of their top priorities. And in 2019, Emil Sutovsky, FIDE director, announced that a new contract had been signed. Is that contract anywhere to be found? I don't know. That continues a scaled back relationship with World Chess, formerly known as Aegon, through 2021. However, that's obviously not entirely true. It is 2022. Yep. And this world chess stuff is still they going. They still on. have it. I've heard it's their last cycle, but you know. Okay. Well, so the question still- is who's Sutovsky going to sell it to next? Now, let me just say, let me just say, we got to say something. It, what did happen in FIDE that is, could be described as a glimmer of hope, though I don't know if I have it is that you got guys in there now like Sutovsky and Short who I at least come there, I think with the best intentions. Um, and can they write the ship? I don't know. I think there's fundamental reasons why FIDE will remain corrupt. But in any case, we can talk about that in another show. But it is true that maybe this is the end of this world chess thing. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah, I think it's an important disclaimer to make. I think I made it last time, maybe multiple times now. Not everyone in FIDE is uh, a terrible person, and there's been different administrations in there and different people in there. Um, and yeah, it does feel like the new administration does feel a, at least a lot more transparent and honest than previous ones. And and I, I feel like that's because yeah, a lot of them are like actual chess players, and so kind of like yeah they're not so much on the uh the bureaucratic side um uh, that said they still have to be held to a high standard because they're kind of in charge of everything in the chess world and there's really no room for any kind of um bribery backroom deals you know money exchanging hands um nigel short getting like cushy commentary jobs even though everyone complains about him (laughs) (laughs) This stuff should be to a minimum. <laughs> it's all there is. I mean, <laughs> it's all there is. And we got to say, you know, that as much as we're complaining, the world championship has always been, to my mind, a beautiful event, even if it's always been, there's always been hiccups. And it's always, honestly, I think, had an element of corruption to it. There's always been an element of lack of transparency. Um, and so now, for example, 
we got these guys, these ex GMs. I mean, they're still GMs, but you know, guys who used to play at a very high level who are in the organization, but still at the top, you got a guy who is a right-hand man of Putin and Arkady Dvorkovich being the press. So, you know, it's still, it's still it's like, but it's always been a little bit that way. We got to say, we're going back hundreds of years. If you look at any cycle, there is legitimate complaints about what actually went down. Uh, and the transparency of the whole right. Thing. I mean, like at first you're wondering, like, okay, is like, are like Sutovsky and Short better than Osmai Parashvili or something like that, right? But then you have to remember that, like, the actual president, it's like a direct line down from like Ilyumshinov to like Vorkovich. You still at the top have, you know, a non chess player who's coming from like a very high political circle, right? I think like we a gotta true, say both a true both power dude. Both Ilyam Janov and Dvorkovich were both like 2,300 players, I think. I know Ilyam Janov was, and I, th I know Dvorkovich okay. is at least some kind of player, but still. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I believe they're both, yeah, like experts or masters. Yeah. Um, with Dvorkovich, yeah, it's it's really weird because, of course, it seems like he's like the super rich guy, very close to Putin. I mean, it seems like an odd candidate to have for a president. On the other yeah, hand, I I've heard many chess players talk very favorably about him. Like they, they, they believe in him, you know, they, uh, or at least back then, I don't know what they think now, but, um, you know, a lot of, uh, cause I mean, short was running on his own. Right. And then he like joined, joined the Dvorkovich team. And right. what I'd like to know is whether well. Karyakin likes him. I want to know if Sergei <laughs> Karyakin approves of, of the FIDE president. Mm. Why is why is that a litmus test for you, but Well, then I'll know that that uh, that I shouldn't like him because <laughs> Karyakin's going to be wrong about everything. <laughs> it's a good test. Um, so yeah, yeah. Farm rate in the chat is saying Dvorkovich's uh, father was a, a renowned arbiter. So I feel like I've heard many good things from. <laughs> Sorry, Ghost. <laughs> Has there ever been a renowned arbiter? Yeah, sure, yeah, it's a yeah. thankless task. It's a thankless yeah. task. There's no renowned arbiters. Oh yeah, there are arbiters. Carol Jarecki, okay, renowned. Yeah, right. renowned. Frank renowned. Guadalupe. These are great arbiters. <laughs> Frank Guadalupe. Look, Frank you're lucky Guadalupe. you're sitting with me to have somebody who even knows who you're talking about. These people are not renowned. <laughs> They're not renowned. Okay, I'm not but... saying they did or didn't do a good job. I was like, you know, I was like an arbiter and a tournament organizer. Nobody is renowned for like running a tournament. I, I think what is meant is that they were an arbiter for many years uh -huh. and they were respected. You know, they get good jobs, <laughs> Olympiad, uh -huh. right? Like B Day events. Yeah. Uh, why is that such a bad thing if your father was? Uh, the, that seems I'm like not a very it's noble a bad profession. Thing, but the very best thing, the very best thing you can be as an arbiter is like unknown. Like there's no way you're ever going to be like known in a positive way, right? Like you can mess up or you can do a good enough job that nobody talks about you. Mm. I, I don't agree. I think, uh, look, Carol Jarecki, there was a number of very nice, like, eulogies about her just recently. And um, there was uh, speeches about her, like the U.S. championship. I, I think she had a very good, uh, very good effect on people. Okay. What's this hate towards arbiters? <laughs> I don't hate arbiters. It's not hate to say that they're not renowned. I mean, I guess you're saying they're underappreciated. Like, if I said that chess players, you know, this is maybe not true now. Chess has become more popular. But if at some point I said something like, oh, chess players are so much less famous than, I don't know, like poker players or horseback riders or something like that, it wouldn't mean I don't love chess players. It would just be like a fact about notoriety. 
So I think I just, to me, renowned arbiters was just like an immediate oxymoron, but anyway, you can, you can continue. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, for me, jury's still out on, on Dorkovich, but, um, I don't know. The Kriakin test might be an interesting, interesting thing. <laughs> yeah. Have you ever tweeted at Karyakin, Kostya? No, 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 I don't tweet at any of the top guys. That's embarrassing. I know. I, I never tag yeah. them. Anything. I know. Yeah. Never. Unless they they reach out to me first. Like I don't know. I think I think Geary responded to something I said once or something. Nice. So maybe I'll just say this. We're wrapping this thing up. Is that uh, as a fan, it's going to be a question like how how involved am i am i going to go streaming it for the dojo am i going to get up early and start streaming for the dojo and to me i need to know what's at stake first and like right now in this first cycle it's so like weird and i don't know really what i'm watching yet it's hard for me to get super into it right because you have these different groups and oh my gosh i don't understand and so do i enjoy watching the games sure but i don't get it yet and and i think that's a key thing for just understanding this from a fan perspective is that I'm, I'm a guy who like watches chess just about every day. And I'm still not, you know, drawn by the drama yet by this thing. And honestly, like I said, at the beginning, I have a little bit more sympathy for Magnus now, because he's like, if some clown is going to come up through the ranks and I'm not going to play somebody around, let's say two or three in the world, then, then why, why is this a special event? You know, and I really don't want Magnus to stop playing. That would be the absolute worst outcome for me because we've talked about this before the World Chess Championship. What a beautiful thing going back hundreds of years. Yeah. Uh, beautiful part but, of our tradition. But you don't need to worry, Jesse, because, you know, if the Grand Prix produces, you know, a sub top 10 player as its qualifier for the candidates tournament, that player won't win the candidates tournament. You know, Magnus will get somebody like Faruja, Caruana, Duda coming out of the candidates. Uh, it's never clear. Nepo won. And when, when Karyakin won, he was a full hundred points below, uh, b- yeah. below Carlson at the time. Yeah. But, you know? but you're not going to get like, let's say somehow Esipenko won the grand prix. Okay. If, if possible. If that, if that's, that's possible. And if that might offend you, but then I don't think Esipenko would win the candidates tournament as well. Right. Like I think, well, let me just say Esipenko, I think has a, a lot of the Russian players are like, this kid deserves a shot. And honestly, yeah. he, the kid's 19. I don't know. Maybe, I agree. He, can, maybe he can bring it. Esipenko is one of the dark horses. He's maybe, he's maybe a bad choice. Cause it wouldn't even be that bad if he qualified and maybe Magnus wouldn't mind playing you know, Esipenko a year and a half from now after the guys had a good run of, of results, right. at least he's from the next generation. Right. But, um, you know, who would you object to uh, seeing as, as, as the winner here? Um, I would say anybody that's okay. Shirov. Duda, I think Duda is in uh, Duda's like right now I'm looking at it. He's 16th in the world, but he's young. And I can imagine him if he has a good run, I can like, I can imagine Duda being like a dark horse and maybe it wouldn't be so ridiculous, but for Carlson, it might be ridiculous. If Naka is somehow in it, no ridiculous. If mm-hmm. Duboff, I know you're a big Duboff fan. Ridiculous. Shiroff, ridiculous. No, for think about it from Carlson's point of view. But those guys to- aren't going to win. Those guys aren't going to win like a 14 round candidates tournament ahead of, you know, Nepo, Faruja, Caruana. Like there's enough of the top 10 in there that 
But when you think about Nepo, when he won it, he was not in the top 10, as I remember it. He just wasn't there, you know? So it's kind of, it's a tricky situation. Anyways, but you see what I'm saying. There's Yeah, I mean, I think he went from about number 11 to number five during the, uh, right, something during like that qualification yeah. phase. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when the last candidate like, yeah. started, Nepo wasn't, he wasn't considered like a favorite, but he was. Yeah. Um, okay, super strong. Yeah. But yeah, yeah guys, I know it, it, it'd be nice if it was uh, number one versus number two. This is what I've been, been saying. <laughs> I, I don't think the Grand Prix is like a big problem. It's like, you know, when you've got enough different events along the way, I think the person who comes out of the candidates, it's like it might might be like a mild disappointment for Carlson if he only wants Ferruja. But like to the rest of the chess world, I think it'll be a top 10 player who wins yeah. the candidates tournament. Let me just say, if they're listening to me, hey, yo, Aegon, if you're listening to me, buddy, uh, I would don't want them listening. If you bring back the rating thing, give the top two people the rate a spot. Come on, the rating is a real thing. Give it to them. Make sure that they're there. And honestly, find a way to bring Dean in. I don't care. Fix his passport. Let him give him a pass. Bump somebody else out of there. The guy needs to have a shot. This I is disagree. I love I love Ding, but the ratings should like if you want to use rating slots, you got to have like some activity like uh as well so someone can't just sit on their rating for like six world championship cycles right it has to be like you've played a minimum of 30 rated games in the year or something like that whatever that number would be i don't think ding would would make it so i'm i i have nothing against ding i love ding i would love to see him play more including in this but with what's happened over the last two years it makes more sense to have somebody like uh like Esapenko, honestly, who's like, you know, playing nonstop and really wants to play. Fair enough. Fair enough. Here's an interesting stat. If you are below number nine in the world, you are not within 100 points of Carlson. <laughs> As we saw with the statistics put out by chess numbers, mm-hmm. you need to be, at, I don't know, if you are like 50 points difference, your yeah. odds of winning the world championship against Carlson, not good. <laughs> Not good. And honestly, even at the moment, the Ferruja is 64 points below him, you know, and maybe Ferruja is going to be the one. I think, of course, at this point, especially with Ding out, I'm hoping it's Ferruja or Carwana. Yeah. You know, and I think fans especially want Ferruja. Carlson, yeah, everybody. But everybody. also, it's a, you know, it's a 1v1 match, right? I mean, the ratings, they measure how you've done against playing against everyone. But when it's one v one, you know, if you get like a psychological edge on someone, it doesn't it doesn't matter if they're slightly higher rated. I think it I think it matters. I think what you saw with Carlson and Mamadiarov was like that. That's the rating difference. That's what I saw. I was like, <laughs> oh, that's the rating difference. That's chess statistics for you right there. Yeah. Well, fair enough. <laughs> okay. Well, Great. let's wrap it up, and we'll okay. be back soon again. For All right, guys. That's talks. gonna do it. Yeah. Thanks everyone for uh, for tuning in. Stop.